0: Yeah, let's go ahead and start. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for um, just this beautiful relationship that you call marriage. And um, Lord, we just want to hear from you tonight, and so we ask that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I will say this. Um, I alluded to this this morning. Um, we're kind of mixing it up a little bit. Um but I'm going to try to get this in an hour. Uh, if you've got kids back there, uh, they've sort of been warned and prepped, so um, bear with me. Is that all right? Yes. I got a lot on my head, and I, as I said this morning, I went through what I thought was going to be in my head, and then Tracy said, oh, it's all good, but then don't forget this and this and this and this, and so, um, anyway last week we uh, and what i'm going to try to do is i want each session to kind of stand alone but also build on the previous and so um so here we go last week for review we mentioned we have all pre we all have preconceptions of marriage when we go into marriage we have we have these preconceived ideas usually uh cultural tv movies peers even church and sometimes unfortunately even in church relationships or church Uh, presentations of marriage, we can get the wrong idea. So uh, we want to move from, we want to move from cultural marriage, not just to Christian marriage, but to biblical marriage. And I think there's a big difference between uh, even what is commonly called Christian marriage, which frankly Often doesn't look much better than cultural marriage, uh, but a big difference between biblical ma- Christian marriage and biblical marriage. And so we want to strive for biblical marriage. We talked about Genesis chapter two. God created Adam and Eve as a as a marriage team, um, and uh, it, he since he created it, he has the answers to the challenges of it. Uh, and our marriage should impact our marriages should impact the world for Christ for generations. We want to we want to build a godly legacy, whatever that looks like. Right? We want to build. We want to um, you ever see those, uh, now that we're a Hobby Lobby uh, city, we can talk about these things. We are a Hobby Lobby town here in Madison, Indiana. So now we are the town of um, uh, Barnwood with uh, with uh, fra- cute phrases on them, right? And one of our favorites is, uh, all because two, two people fell in love, <laughs> right? And so sometimes we'll sit and, uh, sometimes we'll, We'll all gather, and there's you know uh nine of us still at home and and uh eight phrase right, and so there's seventeen of us, and we're all kind of bumping into each other and it's It's complete and total chaos and Tracy and I sit back in the corner of the room and we'll say, "This is all because two people fell in love." <laughs> So whatever your whatever your uh, your downstream effect is, uh, hopefully it's a godly legacy. So we talked about Genesis two. We talked about Ephesians five, marriage as a picture of God's um, God's idea, a picture to God's picture to the world of what relationship with the church looks like with Him and the church, and we should be representing that well. So now this week. Um, This takes me back to Christmas Day last year, December 25th. I'm in worship, and because it was a Sunday, remember that was Sunday last year, and the Lord, I don't get this very often, I won't say it never happens, but uh, not very often, and I felt like this was very clear from the Lord, it was like a vision, and it was like, I'll I'll try my best to describe it. And, you know, it's Christmas Day and I'm in here and I'm supposed to be the pastor and I'm kind of got to, you know, I'm trying to think of what I'm going to be talking about that morning and what all is going on and, you know, everybody in the room and trying to uh, make sure I'm an encouragement to everybody in the room and all that whole, it's kind of a global thing in my head a little bit. And in the middle of that, I get this... um, this image of like a christmas present right and you guys have seen the game you open up the christmas present there's a box you open it up and there's inside of that another box and you open it up inside that and there's another box but in this I'll call it a vision I don't want to get I don't want to be too dramatic but in this it was like you open the present and there's a candy bar and a box And then you open the next box, and there's like something better in another box, right? And you open up the next box, uh, you you can keep going. And each present, each time there's a present there, and there's another box, right? And in my mind, uh, and as I think I told you last week, I was kind of struggling with the Lord like, Am I supposed to do a marriage class? Because I don't want to do that if I'm not supposed to. I don't pretend to be an expert on marriage. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's a, a cost to count and, and all of those sorts of things. And I didn't really want to, you know, but anyway. I'm, I'm thinking through this sort of box thing. And in my mind... Then you start having this conversation with the Lord in these kind of moments. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, that's, that's honestly how some of us can be sometimes. And I don't want that for, any, and as I'm th- I was thinking in terms of a pastor at that time, I don't want that for anybody in this room. I don't want anybody to ever stop like, okay, I'll take my candy bar and not open the next box. But too often, we do that as Christians, right? Like, candy bar. I'm a I'm a candy bar kind of a Christian. That's good. I'll take it. Or, you know, maybe the next box has got, you know, maybe there's a $10 bill in that. I'll be a $10 bill kind of a Christian. Uh, maybe the next box is a $100 bill. I'll be a $100 bill kind of a Christian. And so often, we decide where our stopping point is. And in my mind, I was like, Lord, that's how some... I, I know people that I'm burdened in that way. I'm not judging. I'm not condemning. I'm just, my heart aches when I see that in people. My heart aches when I feel like I'm in one of those phases, and I've been in those phases before. And so I was like praying, and I'm worshiping, and I'm, Lord, Lord, I don't want to do that. And the Lord says to me, that's what you're doing if you don't teach a marriage class. And so here we are, nine months later. <laughs> But as I take that back in my head, can I say, very commonly, that's how we approach marriage. We will go to this degree of intimacy, physical, spiritual, emotional, communicative, whatever you wanna, whatever you want to call it. We will go to this point and stop. No more boxes. We're done. And, the, and the, the reality is, as I'm, as I'm kind of unpacking that in my mind, I think the thing that makes us not unwrap that next box is fear. We don't know what's in that box. That box feels vulnerable. I make myself, uh, I take a risk every time I open that box, even though I know that each box so far has gotten better. I take a certain risk. And so if I can encourage us tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press us for the next three weeks, okay? So probably the crowd will get smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> Two weeks from now, I'll be looking at my wife and I'll say, I got this awesome study. It's for me and you, babe. <laughs> but there is so much that the Lord would love to have for us in our fellowship with him. And again, I want you to appreciate the parallels, our relationship with him and our relationship with our spouse. There's so much that he wants from us. There's so much intimacy he wants to share with us. And there's so much intimacy that he wants us to enjoy together. Okay? And we only do that by just keep peeling back those boxes. Don't ever stop. Don't stop till you're dead. I met with a guy this week, 89 years old, celebrated his 68th wedding anniversary this week, laying in a hospice bed, just waiting to die. Sweet, sweet, sweet old, faithful, believing couple. The guy had these fedora hats, right? He wore tweed in the winter and cotton in the summer. And I always thought, I always just thought they were kind of cool. This guy dressed up to go to the doctor. Who does that? Anyway, he, uh, so I was kind of commenting on him, told him I had a son that wore those all the time. This guy wanted me to, he wanted to give me those hats. So he, his wife, or his daughter uh, contacted me and said he'd like for me to come. But anyway, I'm just sitting there listening to this guy. And I thought, man, what a, what a richness here. 68 years. And so, you know, we all have different stories, like I said earlier, uh, last week, and we all have different stories, but God wants yours to be good, and God wants you to keep opening those boxes. That's the, that's so crucial. All right. So, with that, you know I like metaphors. Everybody good with metaphors? Here we go. You go to a football game, Right? You walk out – going, you're going as a spectator to a football game, all right? Do you expect – and you see the guys come out and uh, they bust through the stupid paper thing, right, with the coach in front. And so here they are, right? So now you've got a coach and a team, right? Do you expect that they've, like, had some preparation going into that or did they just say, it's Saturday, let's go walk, uh, run through the paper, Right? No, there's like something that you expect them to have a, a game plan thought of before the game, right? So what I want us to do tonight is to consider uh, some tools, some biblical, again, we're talking about biblical versus Christian marriage. What if we put together sort of some biblical building blocks, preparation, framework, foundation, through which we can navigate some of these plays of the game, if you will, because there's lots of plays of the game, right? And uh, then maybe explore a few of the plays. Is that fair? So that's where we go. Go to Ephesians 5. Now, as I said last week, we read this last week in the context of just the overall picture of, of, of Christ in the church, but tonight I want to break it down a little bit in terms of the, hus- the role of the husband and the role of the wife. We'll start verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we'll start with husbands. Everybody okay with that? What's a husband supposed to do? He's supposed to love his wife. How is he supposed to love his wife? Like Christ loved the church. Okay, now think about this. I remember walking on a beach uh, one time this was uh after two thousand and one, but still a challenging day. I forget what he, what what the what the challenge even was, but Tracy's walking ahead of me with some of the kids, and I'm kind of walking a little bit behind and and I remember this again one of these dialogues with the Lord. I'm like, so how many times do I have to like cave, or lose, or whatever, <laughs> whatever your, you know, whatever your, uh, your interpretation is, how many times do I, do I, when do I get to win around here, right? How many times do I have to, how many times do I have to give in, right? And just as clear as clear it could be, well, how many times did I give in with the church, right? And so we have this model, and it's like we have, we have Christ, and the church, right? They're they're like a marriage, right? And if you think about, if Christ is the husband (coughs) and the church is the wife, which one do you think bears the greater responsibility in that relationship? Christ or the church? Christ. You know, all relationships sort of have an initiation and a response. There's an initiator and a responder, right? When you guys first got googly-eyed over each other, somebody said, do you want to dance? And somebody else said, sure, right? Somebody, uh, I, actually, I, anyway. Uh, somebody said, would you like to go out? And the other, somebody else said, sure, right? There's an initiator, there's a responder. You get an argument, somebody says, I'm sorry. Somebody says, I'm sorry. There's a first one and a second one, right? There's, an, there's, there's one that moves towards reconciliation and there's one that receives that, right? There's one there's ones that initiates vision and one that comes alongside, right? Christ and the church. Christ bears the responsibility of this relationship with the church, right? He sustains the relationship. The church has to respond, right? He gives us enough freedom to say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But who would, right, in, in the context of, of that amount of love, right? I mean, people do, but we, you know, hopefully we can't fathom that, right? And so he, he sustains, he serves, he fights for the health of the relationship, right? He goes to all extremes to restore, to maintain the health of that relationship that he has with his bride, the church. And that's the role of the husband. It's a weighty responsibility. And so, <clears throat> it's his, w- his, w- his job to love and serve her the way Christ loved the church. And the wife, hear me on this, the wife should confidently, she should confidently know that he loves her, period, and that he would lay down his life for her. She needs to know that. She needs to... She needs to walk in that. She needs to live life as if she knows he'll do anything for her. If push comes to shove, he'll He'll be her man. He'll be her knight in shining armor. He'll do what it takes. If he has to slay a dragon, he'll do it. If he has to talk to his mother-in-law, he'll do it, <laughs> right? If he has to... Do something hard, he'll do it, right? And she needs to know that. She needs to know that he's going to be, be the guy that will do that. He's going to be the guy that will sacrifice. He's going to be the guy that will love sacrificially. And then his job also is to wash her with the word. She's kind of like his life project, right? The, the wife is the husband's life project. Your job, husbands, is to fashion her And mold her. Again, she has free will, but fashion her and mold her in such a way with the cleansing of the word of God, that when it's all said and done, and it's time to present her to to heaven, to present her to her deathbed, you're presenting her to God as sort of your life project, and that's how you need to see it. She is your life project, and so um, that. That doesn't mean you have all the answers. That doesn't mean she she doesn't have free will, but when she has, like in uh, First Corinthians, I believe it is, uh, Paul talks about you know, wives ask your husbands your Bible questions, right? Wives, can I tell you this? If you have a Bible question, you should be able to ask your husband, the priest of your home, right? You could look it up, right? You got Google just like he does, right? But let him look it up for you, right? Engage him in that. Give him give him the honor. Of Of letting him do that, right, and guess what? as he does that, guess what over time, hopefully he 'll own that too, right and so um, that's a that 's a key thing but uh l- just like we always talk about here, love is what motivates God. everything God does is based on his love. love is what should motivate a husband to love his wife, that relationship should be relationship should be held together by the love of the husband. So, again, love is an abused word, right? So let's just look at First Corinthians 13. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Guys, hear this. You could be a great provider. You could be everything else but loving. And if you do, you missed it completely. This is your project. When you say I do, this becomes your project. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so that's the kind of love, the kind of love that Christ has for the church, the kind of love that the husband is to have for the wife. And so I'd encourage us husbands, myself included, to be very familiar with that list, uh, particularly starting there in in verse 4. Patient, kind, doesn't envy, does not parade itself, not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So that's men. That's all you got to do, men. All right? All right, fair enough? Piece of cake? Ladies, back to Ephesians. Interestingly, most of this narrative I just read in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, relate to the men. The wife has two commands. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So, wives are to submit. And then verse uh, 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So wives are told to do two things, to submit to their husbands and to respect their husbands. Now, obviously, this word submit has been abused uh, by a certain uh, half of the human population, right? Men, right? Submission is a beautiful thing because submission teaches us about authority structures right and uh i've said many times first uh, corinthians i believe 11 talks about the authority structure of the trinity and basically it says that god the father is is head over god the son well they are both equal right uh but there's an authority structure even within the trinity and so if there's an authority structure within the trinity that doesn't that doesn't having to do with value or or importance or anything else like that it's just an authority structure just for just for order and the same way the home has has a certain order and that is the husband is to be the head of the home and uh the wife is to submit to that headship now a couple caveats is that right acts chapter five and honestly as tracy and i have counseled with some women uh over the years Uh, we've unfortunately had to refer back to this. Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so what happened? This is a time in the early church. Everybody's uh, selling stuff and bringing the money to the church. And everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. You're awesome. Anybody ever notice there's a thing in church where we love to, for people to say we're awesome? Right? I mean, if, honestly, in this church, I, I do all I can to guard against that. Right? I, we don't have, a lot of, don't have a lot of spotlight moments uh, up here. Right? Because uh, we want people to, if people serve, we want people to serve for the right reasons. And it's not for human notoriety right? Well, anyway, they were uh, serving for human notoriety, and there's a lot of people, not necessarily for that, but Ananias and Sapphira got this. Well, we'd love for people to say we're awesome, right? But yet, we don't want to give away all of the money, right? So they sold a piece of property, and they gave part of it, but they said that that was all of it, right? And so many of you know the story. I won't read it in the interest of time. Ananias, the husband, comes in, and lays this money and Peter says, was this how much you sold the property for? Yep, the whole thing. He's like, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit, man? You shouldn't do that. It's not going to go well for you. Boom, the guy drops dead. Right? About three hours later, the guy's wife comes in. And let me just say this. Sapphira was a submissive wife. Right? The guy's wife comes in. She said, he says, or Peter says, hey, I heard you sold this property. Was this the total amount? Yeah, totally. Boom, she drops dead, right? So God held her accountable, right? And so sometimes, I just have to caveat this, wives are are to submit to their husbands. If their husband wants to lead in ungodliness or anything ungodly or unbiblical, then it's okay for the wife to say, "I'm sorry, I'm not going to take a part take part in that." Okay, this is very important, and unfortunately, it plays out uh, even in our world today. So, the wife should give the husband freedom to lead in godliness, knowing that he's not perfect. But if he wants to lead in a way that contradicts Scripture, that's uh, it's okay for her to say no. Now, we'll say this, wives. So, I gave you that out. Is that fair, ladies? Gave you that out, now, back to like, he's not gonna ask you to die because of our sin together, right? Let's say things like he wants to drive the car and like pick out a parking spot. Is it okay if he picks out a parking spot, right? I had a friend one time, he said, you know, I always thought I knew how to drive and find parking spots until I got married, right? And we all laugh at that because we've all experienced that, right? And now Tracy and I, when we're we're on our A game and we're thinking about it and we're alerted and we're prayed up, we pull into Walmart and I say, where would you like for me to park, honey? She says, wherever you pick, honey. So it's completely utopian and we pick a spot that's completely adequate and we go into Walmart with no broken legs. So it's perfect. But it's okay to let him park the car. It's okay even to let him make mistakes. Ladies, I want you to hear me on this, please. I'm not talking about Ananias and Sapphira now, okay? I'm talking about he thinks X and you think Y. And he, 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 read, he already read from um, 1 Corinthians 13. He's not demanding his own way. But he really feels like in his heart of hearts, maybe we're supposed to go Y. And you think X and he thinks Y. And you think X and he thinks Y. And you pray about it and you seek the Lord. You still think X. He still thinks Y. Can I tell you this, ladies? From the bottom of my heart, let him go. Let him go. And here's what will happen. A, what I say he was? Y? Yeah. A, got too many letters one of them. A, why was the right answer? And you look back and you say, oh, honey, you are so right. B, why was the wrong answer? And you say, what do you say then? Told you so, you moron. (laughs) No, you don't say that, right? You say, hey, we learn together. C, you demand your own way. Let me, t- I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna speak man to you. We talk in our family, we talk about speaking man and speaking woman. They are completely different languages sometimes. Let me speak man to you for a minute, ladies. Uh, this is a flaw on the Y chromosome. I can just tell you this straight up. If you demand your own way, this is a flaw of manhood. I'm sorry, I didn't want to get too biological for you. This is a flaw of manhood. If you demand your own way, there is something in a man. That will shrivel up like a pathetic worm and he'll say, Fine. That's fine. I, I don't really have any conviction. You want X? We'll take X. Let me ask you this. You wanna be married to that guy? The guy that does this. No. Next thing you know, he can't shake you know, he shakes a hand like this and Yeah, I mean he just falls apart, right? Nobody wants to be married to that guy. You wanna be married to a man right? You want to be married to a man? Let him be a man. Let him be a man. And don't like put all this, all your conceptions of of parameters on him. Let him lead. Let him lead. And if he messes up, that's an awesome educational opportunity for both of you, right? I'm not talking about something unbiblical. I'm just talking about life choices, God can fix, if it's something that you guys both sought the Lord together and he makes a mistake, God can fix it, okay? So that was submit. What's the other one? Respect. This is huge, huge. Women need to respect their men. And respect, women, when you're commanded to respect your husband, you're commanded to respect him whether he earns it or not. Respect is given. It's not earned. Respect is given. It's not earned. And you communicate respect. You demonstrate respect. You live out respect whether he, whether you think he deserves it or not. This is very important. Tracy read a book years ago um, where uh, uh, one of these Wife books, I never read them. Um, But this wife says, here's how you demonstrate respect. You don't interrupt him, you don't correct him, you don't suggest, hey, this is how we ought to do it. Have you ever thought about this? Or have you considered this? I mean, you you can work together, but like don't suggest like this, hey, this is what we ought to do, like in a demanding your own way sort of thing. Uh, don't have a better idea, like he's got an idea, you got a better idea. And again, we're talking about stuff like, park, uh, nine times out of ten, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about how to wash the dishes and how to park the car, right? He wants to wash the dishes with his right hand. You always do it. Your mother always did it with her left hand, right? This is the stuff we argue about, right? And, uh, and so if he wants to, just let him do it, right? Just let him do it. And then number five, don't mother him. You want to be married to a child, you want to be married to a male boy, mother him. And again, he'll do this, he'll say, fine, fine, yes, mommy. You tell me what to do, mommy. I'll, I'll, I mean, he won't say it, those words, but he'll live it. I, I can just about guarantee you. He'll live that out. You, you treat him like a boy, he'll act like a boy. Again, that's a flaw. Uh, we, are, we are chivalrous men. We we kill things, we shoot baskets, we hit baseballs, we, we conquer the world, but there's something about us at home, we avoid conflict, <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is way too often the default. And if you want to be married to a boy, treat him like, his, like you're his mother. And so obviously we don't want to do that. So for the wives, submission, and that means, uh, you know, again, within biblical parameters, submission and respect now men here's the thing women it, now men and women are different at their core women men and women are different to the down to the dna men and women are fundamentally different down to the dna right and here's one of the things that they're different I believe, I believe this with all my heart. Women have this craving for love. Women want to be loved. They also want to be respected, to be sure. But probably if, there's, if, there, if I could put an order on it, they want to be loved, number one, and respected, number two. Men, interestingly, want to be respected, number one, and loved, number two. Ladies, you ever got flowers for your husband? And he's like, what are these? Right? You're writing poetry, right? You take him to a chick flick, right? Or, let me get, can I give you a pointer for next Valentine's Day? You look at him and you say, you are the man. He'll be like, oh, really? You think so? Right? It'll be the opposite of this thing, right? And so, women, check this now. Women are wired primarily for love. Men are wired primarily for respect. So it makes sense that God commands the man. Oh, by the way, wake up to the idea of love because it's not as much in your DNA as it is hers. So I need to remind you, God would say, to love her like Christ loved the church. Women are so wired for love that they're not necessarily as alerted to the need for respect. And so this is why God says, hey women, I need to remind you, respect your man. Communicate respect for the man. Demonstrate respect for the man. Live out respect for the man. And along the way, right, let's just state the obvious. Men, you could help her by being respectable. That's her command, regardless what you do. But boy, you could sure go a long way by being respectable, right? I mean, you burp at the table as loud as you can, try to have a, a gas passing contest at dinner time in front of the kids, right? And she's supposed to respect you, right? It, you're making it a little hard on her, right? And even, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, and my wife, sometimes she'll say, in her loving, respect, respectful, amazing, awesome, perfect wife sort of way, she'll say, please don't tempt me to dishonor you. And I'll say, "Check, okay, I'm commanded to love my wife, right man it's so just it just flows when she's so lovable, right, And at other times it's a little more work doesn't take the responsibility away from me, but you see the idea? Men love your wives, wives respect your husbands, men try to help your wife respect you by being respectable women." Try to help your husband love you by being lovable. All right? So, that's how that rolls. All right? Now, some additional supporting documents from the Word. 1 Peter chapter 3, turn over to the right. After Hebrews and James. We'll start with husbands. Okay, you ready? Everybody there? First Peter chapter three. And honestly, if you're ever a husband or a wife, if you're a husband particularly, and you come to me asking about your marriage, I'm probably going to read Ephesians five or First Peter three to you. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, that is, with your wives, giving honor to the wife. As to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So we're to do, in addition to loving her, we're supposed to dwell with her with understanding and we're supposed to give honor to her. So if I'm going to dwell with my wife with understanding, that means I need to know her. That means I need to know her. Now, I can live out my part of the marriage thing in such a way that causes her to shut down a little bit, right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to guess that we all at some point or another know what it's like to have a wife that's at least a little bit shut down. It's hard to get to know that woman, right? Because frankly, she's just protecting herself. And so... I need to, first of all, live in a way that she feels, remember we talked last week about vulnerability. She needs to feel free to be vulnerable before me. And so she needs to pour out her heart to me and she needs to be able to tell me maybe even things that are hard for me to hear. But I I need to learn kind of who she is and, and, and I need to study her. And I need to dwell with her with understanding. And let me just say this, men. Because we have different brains, we have different DNA, we have different languages. Sometimes we think in terms of our language, our DNA, that she just doesn't get ours, right? Like ours is right and hers is wrong and she's just flawed, (laughs) right? And really it's more like, I like this idea of the weaker vessel. She's more delicate. She's just a delicate vessel. She's more tender than we are. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science to say she's more delicate than I am. But I need to study her. And Tracy made, Tracy gave me this example this morning. Years ago when we first moved to town, do you remember, raise your hand if you remember the, uh, the Madison-Milton Bridge before the one we have now? Most people, okay. So, to you newbies, to you outsiders, to you migrants, (laughs) to you influxers, um, we used to have a bridge that was so pathetically rickety. I mean, it was built in, I think, the 1930s, is that right, something like that? It was built for Model A 4s, right? By the end of its life, I'm not making this stuff up, by the end of its life, they had like a traffic code that if an ambulance had to go from one side to the other uh, they had to stop traffic on both sides so the ambulance could go down the middle and evenly distribute its weight in the safest way possible that makes you feel good doesn't it right now prior to prior to uh the engineers and the powers that be telling us that that bridge was that frail there were two kinds of people in the world, the people that thought, oh, if you think that bridge is unsafe, you're just being irrational, and the people that thought, I think that bridge is unsafe, okay? You were, those of you who were here, you were one of those two people. Well, I was one, Tracy was the other, right? And when we first came to town, I think we went over that bridge once, and Tracy's not crazy about bridges anyway. It's not like a phobia or anything, but she's just not crazy about bridges, and, and you know, you get all this, eh, never mind anyway, that's you get these weird sort of intrusive thoughts. Ladies, you get intrusive thoughts sometimes. Anna knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> you get these intrusive thoughts. We won't even go there. But um, she's like, man, that bridge, I just don't like that bridge. And she would say to me, she'd say, and at the time, um, we went to church for a little while down in Crestwood. And, you know, it's way more efficient to go down that bridge, cross that bridge and pop over to Crestwood, right? But... Now, can you please just not take me over that bridge? And she would even say this. This may be an irrational fear. But would you please just roll with me on this? And to me, this is like dwelling with your wife with understanding. I mean, I've not done everything right, but I did that one right, right enough that she remembers it as of this morning, right? And literally, (coughs) if we had an errand to run in Carrollton, Right, if, if the Murphys needed to go to Carrollton, the Murphys would go down to Louisville, cross the bridge, back up the river to basically where we started on the other side of this bridge, right? A two-hour ride to Carrollton, right? Because I was not going to take my wife over that bridge. It was, she just wasn't into it, right? If we dwell with our wives with understanding, guess what? There are some things that they're going to need to be nurtured through. We might say, they're irrational, give me a break, lighten up, come on, right? But a woman doesn't want to be told, give me a break, lighten up, come on, right? And so we need to dwell with her with understanding. We need to also recognize, and this one, I, I, I'm just going to admit to you, this one's uh, present tense, present uh, Uh, sometimes a point for us sometimes. As we dwell with our wives with understanding. Now, I told you that she's, you know, Tracy doesn't want to interrupt me, correct me, you know, make a lot of suggestions how I ought to live my life, uh, better ideas or mother me, right? Tracy's on that. But there's also a thing that Eve was created, remember for Adam, to be a helper comparable to him and there's something about that in a, in, a, in a woman. A woman wants to be a helper to her husband. That's not unreasonable. But you remember that uh, love is not easily provoked? There's still something in me, in my pride, if it, if it sets me wrong, I'm just being transparent now, that if she wants to help me, Sometimes that feels like she's trying to help me and sometimes that feels like she's trying to fix me. Does that make sense? And so I need to give her space to help me. That's just humility. I need to learn to give her space to help me, right? We're still working on that one, okay? So I'll just, just, you know, lest you come in here for four weeks think everything's past tense. (laughs) We're still working on that. I'm still working on that one, right? But I need to let her be a helper right I need to dwell with her with understanding if she wants to be a helper I need to encourage that and frankly the help she gives I wish we looked all over for these notes uh, that I had typed up and Trace found them yeah, okay I'll show them to you later they're really kind of funny um, but anyway uh, I need that help That's the reality. I need that help. So I need to dwell with her with understanding. I need to uh, give honor to her. I need to treat her like she's delicate and that she's honorable. She's like a prize, and I need to treat her like that. Okay, for wives, back up to verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even... If some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with, check this out, ladies, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. And so, let me just say, first of all, this does not say, you can't comb your hair, and you can't talk, right? It's, it goes deeper than that, right? You can comb your hair. Don't let that be your primary source of beauty, right? And, uh, I mean, obviously, Women have all different kinds of personality, but don't let, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a certain uh, honor and uh, respect conveyed by the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And so, um, again, she doesn't submit to him when he's, uh, when he's being ungodly, but it is okay to let him make decisions. And notice this, I always love this. And this comes up uh, occasionally, even if a wife is married to an unbeliever. Notice this in, ver- in the first part of these verses. Even if a woman is married to an unbeliever, it says that even if some do not obey the word, even if a husband does not obey the word, they, without a word, may be one. Doesn't mean doesn't not a guarantee, but they may be one by the conduct of their wives when they observe. Your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. I knew a couple a few years ago, um, the man is now with the Lord. I think he's with the Lord. (laughs) But he was a local business owner in town. And this guy was as crusty as crusty could be. I mean, he was like, and he would say, I don't, you know, I I, I say, I think he's with the Lord because I think he, uh, I think he got saved at the end of his life. Only God knows. But anyway, throughout all this guy's life, I I saw him as patient. He would come in, and he would, I mean, he was just about as crass as you could be and just rough around the edges. And I'd say, how's your wife? Oh, she's a saint. She's a saint. Uh, Been over here at Hanover Baptist for years. She's a saint. And he'd say, and, and it's like when you asked him about her, whenever I would ask him about her, he'd say, she's amazing. She's amazing. And to me, she's always, whenever I see this, I always think of that, this crusty old guy. But he, it's like when he thought about her and talked about her and the way she honored him, I mean, it melted him. It melted that guy. Now, can I just tell you this? That works better than nagging. Ladies, I'll tell you a clue into manhood. Nagging has not worked since Adam. We're just, it just doesn't work. (laughs) just doesn't work. Okay. So, Tracy, come up here. Please, if it's okay with you. This is another one of those word picture vision things the Lord, I believe, showed me years ago. This is Tracy Murphy, everybody. Um, That, uh, to me, all the stuff we could talk about Ephesians 5, we could talk about 1 Peter 3 all day long, right? But to me, like, this anchors in my head. So she sits right here. We call this the pocket, right? Right here. She sits right here, right? And I sit like this. This is Ephesians 5. Now, what you notice about Ephesians 5. I'm attentive to her, but I don't have a chokehold on her, right? I could get a chokehold here pretty easy. I think I could take her. <laughs> but I'm not so sure of it that I'll try, <laughs> right? So I'm just going to kind of be attentive to her here, right? She's not wondering where I'm at. She's not wondering if I off doing something stupid, but she also does not feel strangled, you got that? Now, how about her? She's not punching me in the gut. She could right now, she totally could. I'm totally vulnerable. She could punch me in the gut, but she doesn't. She just chooses to hang here and then we kind of navigate like a team. Everybody got it? Crystallize that in your mind. All right. Thank you. Good job. That's how much I let her talk. <laughs> Just kidding. She's talking. All right. So we're back to the football game. Everybody good? We're back to the football game. We're playing the, we're playing the game, and it's called biblical marriage right? Our building blocks, our strengths, our weaknesses. I, I do this, uh, uh, we've been on a kick a little bit lately, um, basketball in the barn and sometimes we'll play basketball uh, from age 61 down to, how old's Joey? Eight, down to eight, right? Eight years old to 61 going, going hardcore in the basketball game, right? And so at my age, I'm probably a better coach than I am player and I can pass better than I can run and I can, you know, so I have my resources, but I also have my limitations. And so I'll coach every now and then I'll, I'll be the coach. Kids bought me one of these, um, you know, you see the, uh, I don't know, the little dry erase board that's like this and it's got a p- layout of the court. And I've got this and I got my pen and, and I'm doing this and I, and I'll pull my team aside and I'll say, all right, what are our strengths and what are our weaknesses? Right. And you know. You're ranging from 61 down to 8. You've got some strengths and you've got some vulnerabilities, right? And so what are our, what are our, uh, what are our tools, if you will, if we're going to play this football game of, of biblical marriage, right? And so, uh, again, we need a proactive plan. So we have an opponent, right? And I believe in, in this life of marriage, uh, we have sort of an opposing team, and they have a few strategies. Is that fair? Uh, But keep in mind, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it's almost like, uh, I don't want to take this metaphor too far, but it's almost like a Harlem Globetrotters game, right? There's a huge mismatch. We have the Lord. They don't. But somehow they still trip us up, right? Isn't that crazy? We have the Lord. They don't. They somehow trip us up. So what are their tools? Their tools are Satan and the demonic realm, right? Satan in the demonic realm love to tell you things like, you're worthless. You're a loser. Better yet, your husband's a loser. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? Your husband's a loser. Your husband is is a jerk. Why should you respect him? He doesn't deserve it, right? Your wife's a nag. She's a contentious woman described in, in Proverbs. There's even Bible verses about it, repeatedly. In the book of Proverbs about her. Why would you, you know, why would you love her? She's contentious. You would be better off living on the corner of a rooftop, right? He says things like, I married the wrong one. He says things like, so-and-so wouldn't have treated me like this, right? That's the enemy of your soul, right? We need to recognize his voice enough to say, get behind me, Satan. Okay? That's number one. Number two, the world and the world system. Think of the world's normal. Whatever you can think of as the world's normal and just know that we are not called to live normal. There are so many pieces of normal that are so out of control in our world today that we've got to discern each and every aspect of them. Okay? So beware of normal. And then finally, our flesh. And this is probably the greatest danger because when we're walking in our flesh, we think we're justified in doing so because uh, we put a high value on our feelings and our self-evaluation. Our self, uh, so things like unforgiveness, things like bitterness, things like selfishness, they can destroy us and our spouse. So that's the enemy's tools, right? Or that's the opposing team's tools. So we navigate life right? Sort of the plays of the game, if you will, right? So can I give you a few categories? Okay. Got a few minutes in us? We got a few minutes in you? Okay. So some practical things. Finances, right? Finances can trip up a family, can trip up a marriage, right? Uh, He thinks we ought to buy another motorcycle and she just doesn't get it, (laughs) right? I don't know what she's thinking right? He thinks we need new golf clubs. She, she doesn't get it, right? Uh, she thinks we need more of those Barnwood picture things from Hobby Lobby, and we clearly don't get that, <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do with your finances? Can I tell you this? It's way better to have a proactive plan before the game then in the moment uh, if you've ever been suckered by a salesman, the sucker punch of the salesman is they've got you in the moment. Right? You decide before you go to the uh car dealer what you're what you're gonna do, right? All right, this is a fun story. Went to an antique auction. Uh, this has been about thirty years ago, I think. So you know anything can happen in 30 years. So went to an antique auction about 30 years ago. With uh, no necessarily plan, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure if we had kids. But anyway, I get up. I'm going to go to the bathroom get a cup of coffee. I come back. My wife's holding a quilt. <laughs> I'm like, nice quilt, <laughs> right? So we didn't have a plan. It was a nice quilt. It turned out okay. It was no big deal, right? But have a plan. Have a plan. Um, we were uh, years ago. Uh, at a time when we were really stretched financially, just very stretched, and we were remodeling a house. And uh, talk about dwelling with your wife with understanding. I remember vividly, we were remodeling the house, we were remodeling the kitchen, and there was a faucet discussion, right? You ever had like a faucet discussion or something like that, right? Of course, there were f- 50 of them at Lowe's that were completely adequate uh, that were like $100 or less, right? And, you know, if you would just turn that one on, guess what happens? Water comes out. You turn it on this side, guess what happens? Cold water comes out. You turn out this side, hot water comes out. It was a completely adequate faucet, right? And um, Tracy really was trying not to demand her own way, but she was really enamored with this $200 faucet that did the same thing, right? She was really, she loved that faucet. And again, I'm, I, I, <clears throat> I had this thought, I don't know if this, I think it was the Lord. I had this thought like, you know, in your wife's home at the time, I think we had uh, f- five kids. I had this thought like, wonder how many times in a given day, my wife's at home raising five kids, making three meals every day, washing dishes after every meal, preparing before each meal. I wonder how many times she would, now the, one of the cool things about it, it was just a one-handle thing. Maybe that's what it was. But anyway, I remember thinking, what are many times a day I want her to say, he's a cheapskate? He's a cheapskate. He's a cheapskate. He's a cheapskate. You know, that's the best $200 I ever spent. <laughs> right? I don't know, maybe 150 times a day, maybe. I, mean, I don't know how many times you, t- you hit a faucet. Right? Right? Does it really matter? Do I miss that extra $100? No. But have a proactive plan before you're in the moment. Right. Children. And we're winding down now. Children. Again, men and women are different. Men and women uh, raising children do it a little bit differently. Right. Women are more nurturing. Men are more toe to the line. Right. And so you need to have a plan. Can I tell you when the kid has his hand in the cookie jar is not the time for mom and dad to decide what their protocol is going to be for discipline. That is not the time that is not the time. The time is way beforehand. The time is, what's the plan? The time is, is much more proactive. And again, you guys need to come together with the idea that the husband is loving the wife. He's, he's dwelling with her with understanding. Honestly, in our, in our world, when our kids were little, I quickly tuned into the fact that my wife was more nurturing than I was and probably probably had better insight into the heart of a young child than I did. Right? So I did a lot of deferring. Uh not not this, not like just backing off, still engaged, but I did a lot of deferring in those days. Right? Now the kids are older, right? You know, kids are older, they're navigating life decisions, they need you know, they need more dad input and mom input. And so it's a different it's a different scene now, right? But we talk about that. We talk about that at night after the kids are in bed. We, we, we have a proactive common uh, team vision. Um, schedule. How do you handle your calendars, right? Your calendar, her calendar, our calendar. Those are good things to have, a, have ahead of time, right? Husbands, can I just tell you, I hope you know this. I learned this, I think, the hard way a few years ago probably many years ago. Um, Somebody asks you, hey, you want to get together for such and so? It is always, always okay to say, what? Let me check with my wife. That communicates honor to her. That communicates to your friend and whoever that you guys are a team. But always say, I'll check with my wife. In-laws, extended family, can I tell you this one? This one's dicey, right? Uh, your family is you and your spouse and your children. That's your immediate family. Your, I would even say your children at home. That's your immediate family. You and your spouse and your children at home, right? Your parents are now extended family. Your siblings are now extended family and I just say this because I I run into this all the time. They in the world we live in, uh, don't expect them to understand that. But since we're talking about it here, let's agree that we understand it, right? When Trace and I were first married, I mean, we hadn't been married more than a month or two. It's like my dad decided he was going to call every Saturday morning at about eight o'clock in the morning, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I had to have. I think I had to tell him I'm married now, and that was hard, right? You got to have. You might have to have hard decisions, and again, that's probably something that the man should should rise up and do. But your family is you, you're, you and your you and your spouse. Are a unit. You're a you're a ministry team, impacting the world, and uh, and if you have children at home, that's a part of your team at home, right? And extended family needs to be put into extended family category, and everybody needs to understand those. There's sort of spheres that you don't cross those. You don't cross into their their line, and they don't cross into yours. And again, this is something that is that. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm continually amazed how few people really have a grip on this, but I think it would, this is a good proactive thing for your marriage, uh, in terms of, of minimizing stress. Friends. Can I tell you this? It's healthy to seek out couples, friends or family friends, right? If you can, if, if you can find friends where, you know, the husbands hang and the wives hang that's a treasure right and and it 's all edifying and it's, and and your friends uh, draw you closer to the Lord because most friends will either draw you closer to the Lord or farther away from the Lord. if you can find friends where the husband can hang, the wife can hang, you can hang together, the four of you can hang or whatever if you have kids, the h- kids can hang with each other while the husbands and, and the wives can hang and everybody can hang together that's 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 huge right that's a treasure and um, I am. This is just my, you know, Paul says uh, in some of these, some of his letters, he's like, okay, now I'm just going to give you my opinion, right? I'm just giving you my opinion now, right? Girls with their girlfriends and guys with their guy friends, I just don't get it. I don't see that in marriage, right? You're a team, right? Girls taking girl trips, sorry, I don't want to throw anybody off. Girls taking girls trips, I, I don't see it, Right? So, that, again, that's just my opinion. Um, we're a life ministry team. <coughs> hobbies. Be careful of hobbies that divide your time. This world is busy. I don't know about you. I don't find a lot of extra time in my life, right? And so uh, if I engage in a, if I'm going to play golf, it's going to be intentional. If I'm going to play golf, I'm going to play golf with one of my kids to, to work on that relationship, right? Or if I'm going to do something like that um, – uh, it's, it's gotta be intentional, but by and large, if you ask, ask Tracy, Tracy, what's my hobby? You, her, <laughs> she's my hobby. She and the kids are my hobby, right? That's what we do for fun. And by the way, let me just, can I just back up for one second? Last, last week I said, you know, if you're, if, if you thought the, the purpose of marriage is for you to be happy, then that's wrong. Uh, I mean the purpose of marriage is for you to walk in godliness as a, as a married couple. can I tell you, like the flip side of that is, however, a God-honoring biblical marriage where you guys are both dialed into what the Lord has for you, is like it's a wild ride. It's a blast. And honestly, if you ask me today, what, what do you love to do? I love to hang out with my wife, right? If you give me a free afternoon, you give me a free afternoon on Saturday, I mean, I got responsibilities and kids and stuff like that, right? But we have a blast together. We love being together. And and yet that comes with some effort. And so I, I crave that for all of us. So, a couple more and we'll wrap up. Technology and TV slash entertainment. This is new territory for our society, right? Uh, Some of you know, uh, years ago, uh, I don't even think we had kids. Tracy would, uh, in the afternoons, watch Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury, right? Remember Angela? Uh, She'd watch Murder, She Wrote. And one day I came home from school And uh, she's watching Murder She Wrote. And I come in. How you doing? Fine. Missed you today. Yeah. You want me to make some dinner? Shh. This is the part where they tell us who who done it. (laughs) Check this out. (laughs) So the show finishes. She figures out who done it. They all live happily ever after. You know justice was served, whatever, right? And I'm like, did you know that you shushed me in the middle of that show? Really? I didn't, did you say something? I didn't, I mean, she was completely, right? Usually we'd say that's what men do, right? But she did it, right? And so I said, not in a, you know, a woman submit kind of a thing, but I was like, you know, I think that TV's probably not a good idea. Let's just get rid of it. And we got rid of the TV. And there for a while, for a brief time, we had a TV to watch little stuff. Now we watch, you know, videos that we select or whatever, but but by and large, we've lived life, and we're still breathing. We've lived life without a television since the (coughs) 80s, right? It's possible, right? And in our world today, I mean, I'm reading a book right now about, um, uh, focus, it's called stolen focus, right? That why all the reasons that we can't focus as a society and it's systemic and we need to honestly declare war on it and we need to declare war on it as, as married couples because it will destroy our, uh, it, it'll, it can, it can overtake us. And so again, have a proactive plan for that, um, Speaking of technology, and uh, i be remiss not to say this, everybody, every home, and let me just say this, especially every man, must, capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T, must have a proactive plan for pornography, period. I got to tell you this, I am very passionate about this. I try not to go off on it because I don't want to be condemning. And please hear me, I'm not. I know this is pervasive. I know this is very pervasive. I know it's addictive. I know that my heart breaks for people that are caught in this trap. And I know that it's very, very common. And let me just say this. Temptation is way easier to prevent than it is to climb out of. I talked to a guy this week. I I had lunch with a guy this week that just absolutely broke my heart. Let me just say this. If this is any, I don't want to get too graphic. And I know I'm being recorded. But there was a day when if you wanted to see pornography, you had to go to 7-Eleven and ask the nice 80-year-old lady that was the cashier that night. Can I, can I buy that magazine? Right? And then there was the day when all that changed and it was really accessible, you know, on my phone in my closet. Can I tell you this? We're in the third era now. And here's what the third era looks like. Somebody messages you on social media. Maybe sends you a picture. Maybe maybe some dialogue goes back and forth. And next thing you know, you're being extorted, right? And it's malicious, and it's destructive. And Proverbs says it'll reduce you to a crust of bread. And let me just say this: this is this is hugely dangerous. Hugely dangerous, and. I don't want to ever have to, uh, I would love to never have another meeting like I had with this guy this week, with anybody. So, if that's you and you need to talk about it, we can talk about it later. But let me just say this, you need to have a plan. If that's not you, awesome, have a plan. I live in a fishbowl with nine people. That's a great plan. <laughs> our computers are very public. I mean, in our family, nobody sends an email without somebody else reading it. In our family, we have filters on, the, on, on all the devices. I, I think all of them. Uh, Nate set it up. But, um, but even that, you, smart people can get around those, okay? So have a plan develop a plan together as a couple. And then finally, uh, since we're being delicate, uh, intimacy. All right? We're going to talk more about this next week. But husbands, if you're going to dwell with your wife with understanding, she has desires. Okay? Don't assume that you know what they are. And for heaven's sake, don't assume that she doesn't have any. All right? These are healthy things to talk about. They're healthy things to talk about proactively. This is probably one area where we probably assume too much. We probably think we... We probably think we desire what we desire and the other person um, can just roll with it or just get over it. And we approach this topic, honestly, too often a little bit selfishly. So that's intimacy is not an opportunity to express selfishness or manipulation. Right. Uh, But it's it's. It really is. I mean, honestly, it's a thats a whole talk in itself, but it's really a a fantastic opportunity for a husband and wife to commune on lots of different levels, not just physical. There's a spiritual element to, to intimacy that I cannot explain, but it's real. And the Bible talks about it. So the Bible says don't neglect that. Now, Again, I understand there are physical things, right? We're not all 35, <laughs> right? And so there are physical things, but even at that, there are, there are ways around that. I remember I won't embarrass them, but I remember an older couple in the church years ago, and they were they were up there in age. Let's just put it that way. And they and he'd had some medical issues. Uh, I think even some surgery. Um, So he clearly had some limitations physically. They said, yeah, we worked around that, like they did it together. Okay. So for what that's worth. All right. Very good? Still alive? Okay, good. So we have a road. We're on the road to understanding a vision for biblical marriage. We're understanding the biblical background, the principles, the roles in navigating marriage, the proactive management and planning that it takes to engage in some of the day-to-day things that come up in marriage. Next week, we'll move on to sort of challenges in marriage, communication, forgiveness, some of those things. So we'll work our way sort of, again, down to the little more specifics. Uh, we're moving from principles down to specifics and then the then the fourth week we'll talk about just as practical as we can nuts and bolts fair enough let's pray lord i do thank you for uh just these faithful folks that would come and and uh uh take this in and lord we want our marriages to be abundant not tolerable not just marginally christian not just Oh, well, we want them to thrive. We want our, we want our kids and those around us to, uh, to look to our marriages and see a beautiful picture of your love demonstrated between two human beings. And so, Lord, help us to be those people. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Homework. Homework. What are some of these topics that we talked about that you need to form a a more proactive plan, right? And maybe you have others. But I said finances, children, schedules, uh, extended family, friends, hobbies, technology, entertainment, pornography, intimacy. What are some of the – what are maybe that – maybe some of those or maybe some others. uh, Discuss with your spouse. Uh, how you can be a little more proactive in those things. All right? Dismissed.